there is weed for pain, there is weed for appetite stimulation, but then also, and I think this is really important and often overlooked, weed for her mood, because mm. it's a roller coaster when you're going through something like this. I had different weed for the different things that she was going through. So, and it would go day by day. She was having a really nervous day or a really hard day. I would give her something that was more for anxiety. She was like, I'm not hungry, but now I want to be. I would give her some weed for that. I hope your summer is going swimmingly. And maybe I mean that literally. Today, I have a conversation that feels very well-timed for a season that is supposed to be devoted to recharging our batteries, slowing down long enough to catch our collective breaths. And today, you and I are going to be talking about, wait for it, weed, CBD, THC. Why? Because I have noticed as many other friends of mine who are my contemporaries, let's just say, that at a certain point in life, alcohol really stops being helpful as a method of winding down. For the longest time, I was able to have a nice glass of wine or a cocktail to mark the end of the day. I would sip it and make dinner and then go to sleep. No big deal. Now, it's like my body has decided to go on strike. If I drink alcohol, I can't sleep. I instantly gain weight. And even just a single drink can make me feel like the bottom of the birdcage the next day. You know what I'm saying? But here's the thing. I don't really personally have positive associations with marijuana. I just don't. But I also simultaneously know that alcohol is less and less of a friend to me these days. And then as I'm dealing with this issue, wondering about it, wishing for a way to just decompress after these big hairy days that I have, and that I'm guessing you have too, as I'm wondering about all this, as fate would have it, I met my guest today, June Johnson. And guess what she is? She's a weed doula. Yes, you heard that right. June Johnson is an entrepreneur, model, and advocate. She's the founder of The Weed Doula, a self-care concierge that curates cannabis routines for her clients to seamlessly integrate cannabis into their lives for better living. She's also the co-founder of Collective High, a woman-owned company that creates unforgettable experiences with cannabis education, consumption, and culture at the forefront for the Canna Confident and Canna Connoisseur. Her mission is to make cannabis an exciting, accessible, and culture-forward experience for all, and her goal is to create impactful changes and cultural representation within the fashion and cannabis spaces. Prior to producing cannabis events and becoming the weed doula that she is, June created successful events for brands such as Paul Smith, Hennessy, Moet Chandon, De Leon, Tequila, Anastasia, Beverly Hills, Fred Siegel, Adidas, Shake Shoes, etc. Though she has experience in numerous verticals, she specializes in producing events in the fashion, cannabis, entertainment, art, and culture scenes. She has produced parties for exclusive clients, including New York Fashion Week, NBA All-Star, Outside Lands, and the Grammys. But even with a bio as cool as that, you guys, what it doesn't capture is June's spirit. June is an angel on earth and a blessing to everyone who knows her. I consider myself so lucky to have crossed her path. And I want to share her with you too. But before we dive in, I got to say a few things. And by a few things, I mean legal disclaimer types of things. Okay, ready? 20 Minutes with Bronwyn is an informational podcast intended for educational 
and entertainment purposes only. The content discussed in this podcast is not intended to encourage or promote illegal activities, including the purchase, sale, or use of recreational marijuana. Because remember, in my state, California, this is a legal conversation. And as a reminder, the legal age requirement for weed use is 21 and over, at least in my state it is. I don't know what it is in your state, but you got to do what works legally in your state. Any information provided in this podcast is based on personal experiences, research, and general knowledge available at the time of recording. Listeners should be aware that laws and regulations regarding marijuana use vary widely by jurisdiction. If you're not sure what applies to you, ask somebody, somebody who knows, like a lawyer. And the information provided in this show should not be considered legal, medical, or professional advice. Always get the advice of qualified professionals regarding any legal or health-related concerns. And by listening to this thing, you agree and acknowledge that 20 Minutes with Bronwyn and its affiliates, hosts, guests, or representatives are not responsible for any actions taken based on the information provided in this podcast. Remember to consume marijuana responsibly and in accordance with the law. Okay, on with the show. Please meet the luminous and wonderful June Johnson. When I hear the word weed, what I immediately think of is, you know, I go back to my college self that was getting stoned like every day, kind of felt like a loser. I was kind of numbing out in college because I was in a relationship for too long. and couldn't figure out how to get out of it. I associate it with numbing myself. If you were going to upgrade that thinking and replace it with more appropriate thinking, where would you begin? Well, I think first and foremost, you got to look at what we've been conditioned to think around how we deal with the not so great stuff. In the same way that we tend to numb out with weed, we use alcohol in the same way. We use shopping habits in the same way. We've been conditioned to not really look at the inner and just always seek external outer. So you could just as easily replace weed in that scenario with anything. And That's right. I think that that's the first step to really look at it. Whenever I talk to someone about weed, it's the inquiry of what brings you here? What are you trying to get away from or what are you trying to dive into? And so I think that in combination with the history of cannabis, when you look at it and start to understand why we think the way we do around weed, it starts to all kind of correlate and make sense. And once you start picking it apart, kind of like pickup sticks, you realize this is connected to that and that's connected to this. And so... It's a complete unlearning before we even learn what we can and can't do in our lives. And talk a little bit about that history because it's pretty fraught. We went from being a society that would put people in jail, mostly a lot of men of color in jail for life for three strike laws having to do with- Yeah, I mean, we're still doing it. Yeah, it's not a thing of the past, which is so sad. I love- Trivia. And one of my favorite things is, do you know what and when the first American law pertaining to marijuana was? No. 1619. Everyone who was a farmer was required to grow hemp because it was seen as so valuable and so necessary. So that was the first law and the experiment of America that was put on the book. 1619, everyone had to grow hemp. It was essential. And you look back at the history and you realize 10,000 BC is the first traces of where they found hemp located in China, predominantly used ceremoniously, but also used in everyday items like baskets and clothing, things like that. So we've been using it since 10,000 BC. And just a little synopsis of the history, because it is nuanced and deep and complex, but prohibition entered the scene January 17th, 1920. It went into immediate effect and things like drugs became more prominent during that time because you couldn't drink. So what else are you going to do? 
Oh, we became so popular at that time recreationally. I so, did not know that. Yes, it became huge. And so in the 20s and 30s, the U.S. jazz scene really captured the zeitgeist of cannabis use and how it related to musicians and things like that. And terms like Viper and Harlem were used for cannabis smokers. You have Fats Waller, who's a famous musician, singing, So I dreamt about a reefer five foot long, mighty myth, but not too strong. You'll be high, but not for long if you're a viper. And that (laughs) was a 1943 jazz song that poked fun at Harry Anslinger. And that's a really important name to remember when we talk about the history of cannabis, because he was the first head of the Federal Bureau of Narcotics, which is now the DEA. Oh, and so what was his name? Harry Anslinger. Okay. He is one to keep track of. If you don't know who he is, I definitely recommend the movie The United States versus Billie Holiday Mm because it shows exactly who he is. But he is the godfather of the modern industrial prison complex that we have today. And so he made it his mission during that time to declare marijuana, especially used by musicians, a menace, and he promised to prosecute it. And the reason why that's so important is because he used extreme racist propaganda to do this. And so he went after the Black, Latinx, and Filipino communities. He especially went after the jazz musicians. He's actually quoted as saying, Reefer makes darkies think they're as good as white men. There are 100,000 total marijuana smokers in the U.S., and most are Negroes, Hispanics, Filipinos, and entertainers. Their satanic music, jazz, and swing result from marijuana use. The marijuana causes white women to seek sexual relations with Negroes, entertainers, and any others. So. Holy shit. So that's who Harry Anslinger So there was an intentional campaign to associate marijuana use with the Black community, the Latinx community, the Filipino community, and to create this sense of evilness. I mean, Mm -hmm. to call jazz satanic. Because it made you move your hips. (laughs) But the crazy thing is, June, is that those echoes are in the consciousness still. Oh, it's... Even more tightened because Harry Anslinger didn't act alone. He's one of a one-two punch that happened. So he's doing this. Meanwhile, he's planting drugs on people like Billie Holiday, which you see in the movie, while he's physically taking Judy Garland to rehab because she was a victim in all this, whereas Billie Holiday was a perpetuator in all this. So you have these really uneven attempts at correcting the situation based on race. And so while he's doing that, you have a man named... William Hearst, who's the founder of the Hearst Media, if it sounds familiar, over 250. And Hearst Castle, same guy. Absolutely. So you have him. And at this time, everyone knew him. Hemp wasn't this thing. People were smoking weed recreationally, but there wasn't a fear associated prior to Anslinger and Hearst doing this. William Hearst had bought millions of acres. And the thought of hemp being used, which was created, I mean, it's been used for a while, but you also had a viable, less expensive option to paper. That's what hemp was being touted as. People loved using hemp. They were using it in ropes, candles, clothing, you name it, house structures, etc. So this directly threatened Hearst's empire, his media empire, if hemp was a good thing. So he took his media empire and started lambasting marijuana. And the reason why he started calling it marijuana is because everyone would have gone against him had he just labeled it hemp. But he was using the xenophobia from the U.S.-Mexican revolution that had taken place in 1910 as a way to associate Mexican drug use with this marijuana, this thing that we should just get rid of altogether. 
Oh so my God. Doesn't it echo today? You have oh, Anslinger cool. who's imprisoning people, putting out movies like Reefer Madness, which I don't know if you've ever seen. It's a 1930s film. It is hilarious. They did try to show it to us when we were in eighth grade as a, you know, don't do drugs. And it's so funny. We ended up smoking out afterwards. <laughs> it has the opposite effect of everything could possibly. It's just so ludicrous. It's propagandic at best, but you have him doing this. You have Hearst doing that. Hearst is using his entire media to sway public opinion and it works. Yeah. He's able to make people think, oh, Mexico bad, immigration mm-hmm. bad. And there was such anti-immigration sentiment because also the Great Depression is happening and now people are out of jobs. Who can we blame? Oh, it's all same playbook, all different there. day. It's the same so, freaking playbook. Yeah. That is unbelievable because when you think about what alcohol does, here's what I feel like is true. You tell me what your perspective is. It seems to me that humans, humaning is stressful. It's stressful being mm-hmm. alive, right? Yeah. And the human experiences it's, fraught with terrifying experience. It's no joke, right? Highs and lows. <laughs> and it seems to be that humans need a little something, something to unwind or to get a break from the incessant inner critic that's constantly blowing us up. And so what do we do? We reach for a drink or we reach for weed. And for whatever reason, during the, the prohibition, alcohol was not okay, but now alcohol is okay. But the culture seems incredibly comfortable with alcohol use daily even, but there seems to be still this really pejorative sense around just the word weed seems not. Mm -hmm. And that's Mm -hmm. all because of this history is what you're saying. Absolutely. Because, you know, also an important part, Anslinger was against Billie Holiday and different jazz musicians because they were speaking to the Black experience at that time. This was Jim Crow South. Billie Holiday was told over and over again she'd be arrested if she sang Strange Fruit. And she insisted on singing Strange Fruit. And many people call it a protest song. It wasn't. It was about lynching taking place in Jim Crow. There was over 4,000 lynchings that were taking place. My grandfather fought in World War II and stayed over in Europe because the sentiment was, I'm not coming home to get hung in my suit. Because they were targeting people in their suits and because there was an association of, oh, I fought over here. Now I have freedom when I come back home. And the sharp answer is no, you don't. So Anzinger didn't want people talking about this, singing about this, pushing for rights. So he demonized all of it, jazz, weed, everything all together. And then the first instance you have of a shift in that movement is 1960s counterculture, hippie, flower power, things like that. And what you had was predominantly white middle-class students taking lead and there was an immediate about face and its perception and its ideation. And so suddenly you had an approach that was more treatment focused rather than punishment focused. Mm. And we see that replicate today, right? Crap, cocaine versus cocaine, heroin versus opioids. It's suddenly it's demonized when it's predominantly black and brown people using it. But suddenly when white well-to-do people are using it, it's suddenly, wait, 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 we have to approach this from a treatment place. Uh, there's something, there's an affliction going on here and these people deserve our love and respect, not demonization. So, but you still have, even though weed use is equal between black, white, brown, you name it, weed use is equal, but prison sentences are disproportionately affecting black and brown people because you still have things like stop and frisk going on and you still have a lot of people locked up at the state level, more so than the federal level. So it's great when Biden releases federal prisoners, but that's only about 4,000 people. The bulk of the weed offenses are at a state level. 
And that's what we really need people to be aware of so they can advocate for change. Because if you have dispensaries that look like Apple stores, there's no reason that someone should be sitting in prison for carving out that landscape. So it's really important to understand the history of how we got here, to understand what we can do about it now, because we do have different things changing, like psilocybin, same thing, now that it's being used predominantly by like white younger kids, it's being decriminalized. And so we have to have or it's being used by white scientists or the research community is rallying around it. Absolutely. And Which I'm all for. Like I want yeah. this progressive movement, but we can't build it on the backs of black and brown people and then walk past that and pretend there's not this really harmful perpetuating movement underbelly that exists too. I so agree with that. I think that's so well said. So shifting gears a little bit, one of the things that I just love about you, June, that I think is so spectacular is that I learned from working with you directly is the way you approach weed use is really grounded in intentionality. And that to me is where we can elevate the way we look at it. I think part of what brought me to this conversation is that during the pandemic, I was leaning hard on alcohol to get through those weeks, right? I had three kids, Zoom school, my work exploded during COVID. And by the end of the day, I was literally like hanging off the ceilings by my fingernails and I just needed unwind. So my drinking was every single day. My friend Ben Kiker says that drinking is a progressive illness. You can start out casual and before you know it, you can't not do it. And there just came this point where, number one, I knew drinking every day is not good for me. But number two, my body started to change because of age and the alcohol absolutely shattered my ability to sleep. And so one of my dear friends is like, we're going to get you some weed, sister. And he had some delivered to me. And it was great. It really helped me re-stabilize myself. I'm still not a big fan of every single day use just because it's not good for me. But when you and I work together, you really took me through a process of intentionality. We're not just throwing a gummy down our beaks and then melting into the sofa. Talk through the way you approach this and sort of the framework that you used to think about weed use for people. Yeah, absolutely. Well, just my own weed journey, you know, in high school, I smoked for the first time, I think like in 10th grade or something like that. And I thought weed was cool, got you high, sure, whatever. There was no concept of hybrid or sativa or anything like that. And so it just kind of was here or there. I used it sometimes and I largely quit after college. And then in 2018, my mom got sick. She broke her femur and that's how we found out she had stage four cancer, non-Hodgkin lymphoma. And my mom is an old school. She has smoked weed the majority of her life. It was always an open form that we could talk about it growing up age appropriate. And so it wasn't this like demonized thing in our household. So In 2019, I got a job at a cannabis delivery company and the onboarding provided a level of education around weed that I never even thought was possible. And I was able to take that information and help my mom through chemo Mm -hmm. in a way that she even said was transformative. Like she has always turned to weed. It's never been a thing, but the way I was able to titrate what she needed and like you said, bring that level of intentionality to it Mm -hmm. completely changed the game and her healing journey. A quick question about that specifically, because yeah. a lot of people listening are either dealing with our elder, our tribal elders are aging mm-hmm. and in a lot of pain and just people generally, when you were figuring out the right balance and the right products for your mom going through chemo, were you solving mostly for pain? Were you solving for anxiety? What were you solving for? 
Well, that's what made it so specialized for her because breaking a femur is no joke. I've seen it take out football players, let alone my mom at the time who was 59. So a lot of pain management there, a lot of pain management due to the chemo, which is a really brutal on your body and your system. Then there was appetite loss because of the chemo. So making sure that she could eat because her weight dropped down to 106 pounds, which is really terrifying. So there is weed for pain, there is weed for appetite stimulation, but then also, and I think this is really important and often overlooked, weed for her mood, because mm. it's a roller coaster when you're going through something like this, all the pressure, all the things that you're being told. Yeah. And so it, she was slipping out of trying to be grateful to be here and, you know, this but also really dealing with sadness and fear and things like that. Terror. So yeah. absolutely. And then our medical system and medical racism juxtaposed in between all that. So oh. I had different weed for the different things that she was going through. So, and it would go day by day. If she was having a really nervous day or a really hard day, I would yeah. give her something that was more for anxiety. Yeah. If she was like, oh, I'm feeling fine today, but I'm actually really angry at my situation. I just feel a level of anger. I would give her some weed for that. She was like, I'm not hungry, but now I want to be. I would give her some weed for that. So it really became individual. And it wasn't like she wasn't trying to avoid these feelings necessarily. No. Speak to that for a second. Yeah, because I think that's important. It's kind of what we started off this conversation of like tuning out versus tuning in. That inquiry part is so important when you're going to consume or do anything. It doesn't even matter if it's just for weed, but for alcohol, for anything, which is what brings me here? What am I trying to feel right now by using this thing, this tool? Is there anything that I'm trying to avoid by any chance? So it wasn't so much avoidance for her because she, I mean, grace be to her. I can't imagine how she went through it with so much grace, but it was really phenomenal to see. But she would dive head into these feelings but just needing additional support. Yeah. It's okay to feel anxious. You don't have to get rid of it, but maybe that support to take a little bit of the edge off while you're looking at what's making you anxious. Yeah. So you yeah. can really sort through it and not have all of it heaped on at once. It was really important to her. I had a really interesting experience the other night when you and I worked together. And just for my listeners, June does these incredible single sessions where you can go in, she asks you all the questions, she designs a whole plan. I mean, it's freaking amazing. It's amazing. (laughs) Everybody (laughs) needs to go sign up. And one of the things I was looking for is I don't want to numb out. I don't want to melt into my couch. What I would like is just a little bit of distance between my freaked out brain that's constantly anxious and scared and just just a little bit of space would be great. And I had an insomnia night the other night. And so I took one of the gummies that you had recommended. I can't remember what it was. And I had the most wonderful experience of being able to actually see in a weird way where I was in fear, like what thoughts were fear thoughts, what thoughts were not fear thoughts. And it was like, one of those realizations you can really only have when you're in an altered state So that's the gift to me of appropriate weed use is we're so identified with our minds. We think just because we have a thought, it's truth. And Mm -hmm. even though I consciously know that my thoughts are not necessarily truth, they are just thoughts, it's very hard to disentangle my ego from the thinking. And I think that the thoughts that are torturing me are actually true And as I was falling asleep, I'm like, God, what a relief to just see like, oh, that's a fear thought. I'm not going to get hung up on that. Speak to that for a second. And the question I have is actually, 
Is there something in it that quiets the amygdala, that quiets the part of the brain that's in high alert all the time? I'm just curious if you know that. Absolutely. So it depends on what kind you take. Can you take a high sativa? Probably not. That's going to be really energizing and that can be way into the over-identifying mind aspect. But, you know, when we tend to take CBD or CBG cannabinoids that really go to calming Uh the body down, that's where we can kind of get a little bit of separation, a little bit of distance. And in your session, you and I were talking about my ideation around weed is that it's an ego-less drug, right? I think cocaine, alcohol are alter ego drugs because it alters your ego. You step out into a different kind of bravado usually. Whereas with cannabis, ayahuasca, things that are more natural bound, they tend to remove your id or your ego, the concept of your ego, which is why you could see yourself at your most vulnerable, but your most authentic and be like, oh, that's a fear-based thought. That is not me. I don't have to identify with that and latch onto that. I can actually create some separation. And now I know that's not internal. That's an external thing that I can push away. And I think that's what's so great about weed when you're doing it in the right dosage for your need at that time is it gives you a little bit of breathing room to kind of separate what's fact and fiction. Ironically, most people don't think of weed that way, but it it does. It gives you a little bit of bubble, that space to be like, oh, you know what? This is my most authentic self. And all of that is noise that I don't need. And I can actually pin and figure out how to deal with in a much better coping management way. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's why for me, it's a solo mission. And I think there's other people whose brain chemistry allows them to be social while they're, you know, imbibing. I am not one of those people. I appreciate the experience of just being able to sit quietly and observe my (laughs) thoughts. To me, that is just the absolute best. So as we're starting to rewire our thinking around weed, what are the use cases? There's just that beautiful sort of triage that you just mentioned with people that are actually suffering instead of, and I don't know that it could replace opioid use. I would love to imagine that it could, but there's that constellation of like pain mitigation, appetite management, anxiety management, really powerful stuff. What are some of the other use cases? Where, yeah, where are people using and, and getting just really satisfied with the experience? Absolutely. Well, you mentioned appetite, but you can use weed as an appetite stimulant. You can also use it as an appetite suppressant. Mm-hmm. There's different ranges for that. You have cannabis for pleasure, which I talk to so many women is so key. I think cannabis with a little bit of THC and a decent amount of CBD is great pre-sex awesome. because it helps quiet the mind just enough so that you don't have to be concentrating on the orgasm. You just be present and experience it. And you're not in your head thinking about it. You're just being in the moment. So there's cannabis for pleasure, cannabis for focusing on top of cannabis for anxiety. Mm -hmm. There's cannabis for social. There's what I call sport or athletic cannabis that I will take pre-gym, post-gym. I'll take before I go on a hike or during a hike that helps me with my endurance there's an app for everything. There's a weed or a cannabinoid for everything in my opinion, especially when you get into the combinations of cannabinoids. And just to be clear, cannabinoid is THC is one cannabinoid, CBD is another cannabinoid. There's about 120 in the cannabis plant. And when you start to isolate them, you can get into really titrated aspects like CBN, which is specifically for sleep and things like that. So you can wow. really dial in your experience. It's not like decades ago where it's like, here's weed. I don't know what it's going to do. See yeah, it's hours. green <laughs> and it's squishy. Yeah. And that's why you really built this weed doula business is to customize. And because I will tell you, I went to a weed shop. Somebody was in from out of town visiting and they wanted to go there. And it was overwhelming 
the freaking amount of products on the market are so overwhelming that I found myself being like, God, if I didn't have you, I would be choosing based on packaging, which can't be right. Which I've done. Like that's yeah. how I choose my wine more often than anything. Right. Like, like is the lady. Really yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, that was a bad choice. June, sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't. Exactly. And like that's fine with wine, right? Because it's like, oh, okay, I like this. Or I don't. You can tell by a glass. But with weed, you can have such different reactions that you really do want to know what you're getting before you get it. And so that's why, like you said, I started the Weedula, not only to bring that level of education and one-on-one service so that people can take it and run with it so that you can feel confident next time you go into dispensary and it doesn't feel like Netflix or Toys R Us where you're like, oh, you're this too much, right? You can be like, okay, I know how to find what I need. And if I don't have it here, I know how to ask for what I need. And that's why I started it because everyone should have that level of education and it was breaking my heart because I started Collectify with my friend as a way to do these really chic events that were more women focused and fun and brought in a level of education that I wasn't seeing in a lot of the male-centric misogynist events that I was seeing. Yeah. Um, but then I realized like there's still a base level of education that's missing. And I was seeing these heartbreaking videos on TikTok, on Twitter, where people were slipping into catatonic states because... They had consumed 500 milligrams in one dosing and didn't understand that that was going to have a very harsh negative effect on them or consequence. It would be akin to chugging three bottles of Jaeger and like, whoa, it's so weird. They passed out. It's not weird. That's too much for the body. That's way too much. Yeah. We have to understand that cannabis can be like that too. And that's where I am for regulation because it helps people understand Delta 8 is not the same thing as THC, but if you go in half of these gray shops on the East Coast that are like operating illegally, they'll tell you, yeah, yeah, it's the same thing. And it's not. So you'll get someone who thinks, oh, I can handle a lot of weed because I handled this Delta 8 at 600 milligrams. And then they go to have like 250 milligrams of actual THC and it's way too much for their system. So just getting that level of education out there is so quintessential to destigmatizing the use of it and the information that needs to come from it. And I'm wondering about respecting the plant as its own thing. You know what I mean? Like part of what I think is so damaging about the way we've looked at weed all these years is that it's sort of this naughty thing and there's a thoughtlessness and a mindlessness Mm -hmm. to the use of it. And almost like the same way with alcohol, what I like the way you approach it, and we talked about this during our one-on-one session, is you really want us asking, what am I here to get out of this? And journaling, did I get what I wanted out of it? And there's something about that that feels more sacred and more respectful, generally. Yeah. Speak to the well, From an Afro-Indigenous perspective, we've talked about how long weed has been used. It's traditionally been ceremoniously and, and in everyday items, but there's an intentionality that's so essential to so many of the ceremonies, which is really finding out what brings me here? What am I here to journey? What's my vision for this? And how do I know that I reached that? And so bringing that to marijuana, which has always been, but just reclaiming that and getting people to think about it in a different perspective. So like when I meet with someone, I go through a journey with them. I'm just finding out their information at first, but then finding out what is bringing you here. Are you in pain and you want to get something to help manage that pain? Are you a little shy and you want something that brings you out of your shell at the next party you're at? You know, are you a student who needs to focus or maybe a contractor has to get through deadlines? There's a million different reasons what brings you here, but before starting to consume anything, Mm. it's so essential to ask yourself, why am I here? What am I hoping to get out of this? And I think if we were to bring that into more things, especially with alcohol and stuff like that, 
it really changed the trajectory of our relationship with it because we'd realized, oh, this isn't the best tool for this. Maybe there's something different that I actually need to plug in or identify or work on a little bit more. And so I like using read for that because it's not going to put you out like an altered state if you're using it mindfully. And then you get the most out of it when you're present for it. So it's really just this beautiful connection of how to maximize your cannabis experience during each session. So it you're getting what you want out of it and you're having the desired effect, not that it's taking you somewhere off that you don't want to be like sunk in the couch or this or that or the other. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that mindfulness piece is huge because sometimes life is trying to talk to us. If we're unhappy and we're numbing out Mm -hmm. because we're in a bad relationship or we have the wrong job or whatever it is, and we're just numbing, we're never going to break out and do the thing we're meant to do because we're too anesthetized. Right. Absolutely. Masking your issues rather than really diving into them. And I think with anything in life, the more you can have a healthy curiosity when something arises rather than a fearful, like knee jerk reaction, like, okay, I am sad. Why am I trying to turn to this other thing? If I'm feeling upset, what's making me upset? Like you said, maybe it's, maybe I'm feeling a little lonely because I saw my friends are hanging out without me. And I actually just need to make a phone call and say, Hey friends, I want to hang out rather than mask with a substance. It's really understanding what you're coming to it for, what you think you're going to get out of it, and then identifying if there's a better way to get something out of it, or if this is a healthy alternative for dealing with whatever you're dealing with. I love that. And for those people who are listening, who are like, God, I should probably look into this for my mom or my dad or whoever the tribal elder is that's in, that's suffering because of cancer or chemo or whatever it is. What do you say to people that are like, my mother will never take it. Even if it's going to help her. What advice do you have for those of us who like, they'll never take it, but I'm going to try. Those are my favorite ones, first of all. Like when I used to do events and every time I'm in an Uber, especially in San Francisco, I have a lot of clients who are immigrant parents, basically, who have been sold this whole propaganda of how evil, how horrible it is. You've seen people locked up. It's a bad thing. It'll make you lazy. And those are my favorite people to talk to. Because I do think once you, and I usually break down the history in a lot slower of a pace, so all of it makes sense. But once you break down the history, it really unlocks the first perception shift of, oh, might I have been lied to about this whole thing? Is it possible? And if that is a lie, then what does it look like if I start understanding the truth around it? Could there be really great aspects to it that I'm unfamiliar with? And a lot of times with immigrant parents, older people, I usually go for the topicals because that's usually what they want. And it's usually like the gateway that makes them feel Uh, comfortable. So I'm like, you're not ingesting it. It's not going to make you high. But the proof is in the pudding when you use this topical on your arthritis and you're not in pain. And then you can judge for yourself if that's something that you feel comfortable with, you want to explore more, or if that's enough, that's fine too. But a lot of topical use is so important. And people don't usually think of topicals when they think of wheat. They just think of like ingesting and consuming But topicals are a whole magical world. That's what I was saying before my gym, I'll put a topical on my legs for leg day. So it hurts less. You know, I'll put it on after I shower after the gym. So it hurts less after recovery mode. So there's a million ways to use it, but just talking with people, finding where they're at and meeting them where they're at, because a lot of it's fear-based. So if you can dispel that fear with education, it really just shifts the perception enough to really get them to think about it differently. And so I think that that's, so important rather than coming at it from a, you shouldn't be afraid, you know, like there's no judgment in it. It's just like, oh, I totally understand where you're coming with that information, but can I shed some information about the misinformation you have? Yeah. Let's look at it from there and talk through that. And I'm happy to answer any questions you have around it. That's brilliant. 
June, you're amazing. I oh, thank you. I just love being around you. Your vibe is so peaceful and grounded and wonderful. And you're such a great teacher. And I loved the work we did together. And I'm just grateful for all that you're doing in the world. Is there anything else you want people to know before we sign out here? I think when it comes to weed, don't be afraid to research. And also, this is he. It's such an individual approach. Just because you have a best friend, you all do everything together. You love the same things. Doesn't mean that the weed that works for them will work for you. It's just like alcohol. Sometimes your friend is a whiskey person, but you're a vodka Mm. person and it just doesn't mix and work. So remembering that it's an individual approach, remembering that it can be a little trial and error, which is why I like to recommend journaling around what you take and when you take it so you can kind of keep track of how things are going for you. But just don't be afraid to ask questions. Unfortunately, in America, they aren't allowing cannabis studies. It's been a whole battle for a very long time. However, in Israel, they've been studying it for almost 40 years. So we turned to Israel for a lot of our information on studies, like learning that CBD is amazing during COVID for the lungs and things like that, and just understanding all that. So there are studies out there, even if you can't find them in America, and please feel free to reach out to me. I can point you to scientific studies. The work I do is based in science. And there's a whole movement that is really trying to get people to integrate cannabis into their lives seamlessly, replacing a lot of pills. There's a whole plant, not pills movement. And I do believe that so many people could, opioids included, turn to this as a first resort rather than a last resort if we get that education out there and make people feel comfortable and confident rather than scared around this. That's right. Well, I'm grateful for everything you are and all that you do. And thank you. And everybody go to theweedoula.com. Do yourself a solid. Book some time with June. She's just sensational. And thank you for all the work you're doing. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for this, Bonner. This has been incredible. Love her. If you'd like to connect with June directly, which I highly recommend... Book her at calendly.com forward slash June Johnson, just like it sounds, J-U-N-E Johnson. Follow her on Instagram at theweeddoula and find her on her website, theweeddoula.com. Have fun out there and may your summer be blessedly low key and full of quiet moments to ponder just how lucky we are to be alive right here, right now. Hey, if you haven't already, Hit subscribe so you can get my latest podcast episodes delivered hot off the press or share this with someone who could use it. If you're looking to go further on this journey as a communicator, head over to bronwyncommunications.com forward slash subscribe and get on that newsletter. You get fresh tips every Monday morning to set you up for the week. And on the last Saturday of the month, you'll get a short email with my favorite things that I'm into. If you're dealing with a tough client or work situation and you need better skills for managing hard conversations, check out my No Enemy Conversation course. It's at noenemy.bronwyncommunications.com and it is self-paced and it is all there for you. Lastly, if your company or organization needs a high-voltage keynote speaker who knows how to melt faces and blow minds virtually or in real life, I am your gal. I have two dozen different fantastic keynote topics. And you and I, we can make something killer happen. So shoot me a note and let's do it. That's Bronwyn at bronwyncommunications.com. Take care and shine on my friend. We need your lights.